Welcome to this episode of Ready, Set, Grit, Your Life on Purpose with Ellen Barton, where you'll hear thought-provoking discussion, inspirational stories, and get action tips for creating the life of your dreams. Hello, and welcome to Ready, Set, Grit, Your Life on Purpose, a weekly podcast in which we talk about the secrets behind living the life you've always dreamed of. I'm Ellen Barton, and today my guest is Jonathan David Lewis, the author of Brand vs. Wild. Jonathan is also one of the success stories in the field of advertising and marketing. He's a partner in a firm out in New Mexico that Advertising Age named the Small Business of the Year and one of the best places to work in the country. It's an honor to have you on the show, Jonathan. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Now, I want to talk about your book a little bit. Um, So let's just dive right into that. Your book is... um, written as a survival guide, and it's riddled with stories about the wilderness and how to survive extreme situations, but you weave these stories back to business, which is brilliant. Um, Are you, in fact, a survivalist? Personally, I'm uh, uh, not a survivalist. I'm not one that goes out for weeks on end and, you know, just eats whatever leaves I can find. Um, uh, (laughs) Certainly, my my professional life... um, has felt that way from more of a, a business standpoint, you know, um, building a career in the midst of the, the great recession, having to learn how to, you know, the, the, the demands on us as marketers today are so different than they were, you know, six years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, where it's always been a tough job, but now it's, it's feeling like it's, it's this, you know, uh, we're trying to hold water in our hands and it's just kind of seeping through our fingers with the demands of different technologies and, and the lower budgets and higher expectations. And so really my career has been the wilderness. I have these vivid memories of, of layoffs in the midst of the great recession and watching my colleagues, um, you know, moving around, getting new careers, budgets being halved or totally, you know, cut altogether while simultaneously all this new pressure for performance, so that has been the context for me. But in terms of, you know, I grew up, you know, camping and those sort of things, but never the hardcore Bear Grylls type. That's something that fascinated me. And that was part of my passion for this book. Yeah, well, I think it's a great analogy. And I think it's really very appropriate. I, too, am an entrepreneur and have certainly weathered many storms and, and feel that there is a certain type of person that is perhaps well suited to um, uh, there's this kind of personality, you know, that can mm-hmm. be really um, a, a survivalist, you know, can, can really deal with what comes up and find new ways. I had someone, this is kind of weird and funny, but um, someone once told me that she thought I was like Swiss cheese, like I'd go in one hole and if it didn't work out, I'd find a different hole. <laughs> it's a weird, I know it's weird, but right? Isn't it like yeah, that yeah. when you're in business? It is, you know, and it's something that I've dis- discussed at length that it's actually something I also think comes a little easier to the millennial generation. And, it, you know, there's all this stuff out there about, you know, older generations versus millennials. And, and a lot of it's kind of made up or, or we're finding out maybe isn't as true. But one thing I don't hear many people talking about is how millennials in many ways natively are resilient. They're mm-hmm. natively, um, you know, they're liquid in, in terms of being able to modulate and change and adapt. And it explains a lot of the behaviors that older generations find weird 
in millennials. So, you know, the, the idea of the, the sharing economy or renting, not owning, sort of the skepticism about a lot of the institutions in, in our in our government, in the world around us of business, it's all in reaction to, you know, if you look at how millennials grew up, they grew up in the midst of incredible uncertainty between terrorism and the Great Recession and the job market following. So a lot of the what, what many consider weird is simply a native understanding of how to be resilient. And I think it gives us a real advantage as we enter this pretty, um, you know, big wilderness known as the modern economy where nobody knows what's going on. And, and it's certainly a trait that is, is a must for any modern professional. You've got to be Swiss cheese. Yeah, you got to be cheese. Absolutely. Maybe that's your next book. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll write it down. I'm working on it now. <laughs> no, absolutely. But I, I agree with everything you just said. You know, I personally really like the millennials and, um, find them inspirational. A lot of people say negative things, but I feel like maybe they don't really know these people. They're just making it up because everybody I know of that generation really is like that and is, you know, going out there and making connections and is, I want to talk later about fear because you mentioned that a lot in the book. You know, to me, a lot of the millennials, they don't have the um, hesitation, you know, to go and talk to somebody that's, not on their level, you know, for lack of mm-hmm. a better phrase. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They, they just find a way, whether it's Twitter or social media, other social media somehow, or, you know, they, they don't hesitate to just put themselves out there. It's kind of weird. If you look at the stats, millennials tend to be uh, far more responsible mm-hmm. <laughs> than, than, than Gen Xers to a degree, but certainly boomers who deserve a lot of of the junk or bad rap rap that they get um they you know millennials tend to be more responsible yet they don't have some of the barriers that maybe some of the older generations dealt with uh meaning you know if you need to connect with somebody what do you mean i have to go down you know and knock on doors i'll just pick up my phone and you know i've got 30 different ways i can connect with them personally there's just i think some of those old ideas of barriers aren't even in the vocabulary aren't even in our brains. Yeah, that's really interesting. And so I want to ask you, so one thing about millennials is that they, they have kind of a reputation for um, not having those barriers, but maybe, you know, going from job to job or thing to thing. And, you, you know, in the old days, let me, let, me, let me think about how to phrase this question so it's more eloquent. But what I want to say is, you know, in the old days, you, there, the career path was you, you found a good company, you stayed with that company for 40 years, you retired, you got the watch, you know, it's all good. Now that's not even an option for most people. And so there is more flitting around from job to job. You know, there's lots of statistics where millennials are looking for their next job on the day one of their current job and all, <laughs> all that stuff. Um, but I want to phrase this question in terms of um, the word grit. And bear with me for just one more minute. Mm-hmm. So you use the word grit early in your book. And grit is all about sticking with it and st- sticking with itness and sheer determination and and not giving up, which is extremely important. It's one of my favorite words. It's, it's part of the title of this podcast. And um, so I loved seeing it early on in your book. But there is this 
discrepancy between, you know, having grit and being flexible and fluid. Like, can you just talk to that a little bit and what your thoughts are on how to achieve a balance between those two things? That's a really fascinating question. I think, you know, as I think about a lot of the source material of these that, that's in my book, looking at these incredible stories where people would go to some of the most hellish places on earth trying to traverse Antarctica or, you know, um, map out the river of doubt in the Amazon. Um, all, all of these crazy, pretty intense situations where many people died, didn't make it back or failed. Some succeeded. Um, and I think grit was certainly a part of their success. I mean, goodness, when you think of Roosevelt on the river of doubt, when he was mapping out, uh, the, that tributary of the Amazon, they went through some of the some just horrible circumstances and and Teddy Roosevelt famously had an intense will the willpower of of him and his his ability to push through and, and achieve things i mean he grew up um asthmatic and sickly and he by sheer force of his will uh, kind of built up his body and and became this vigorous young man who went on to change the world and so grit is a big part of it yet when you look at stories like Shackleton traversing Antarctica, they they would try, you know, certain ways to once the ship was trapped in the ice and they were trying to escape and get back to civilization, they failed in many respects. And if they had simply stayed the course, for instance, one of their attempts was to hike out of this ice field, um, which was just an in, just a terrible idea, given that they were dragging these enormous boats and things. If they had stayed that course, they would have just perished. So it, it, I, I don't know if it's necessarily a choice between s sticking to it and changing the plan. I think grit in many ways is an overall attitude that, you know, in Shackleton's um, story, his overarching goal was to get to safety. How he got to safety could change. So maybe he had grit when it came to his overarching goal. But when it came to how to get there, he was extremely adaptive, extremely liquid and able to, you know, try something, fail and try something else. So then it might be a level or, or, you know, this relationship between grit and adaptability. It might be very harmonious when you look at it in a different respect. Yeah, you know, I think so. I think, you know, and and your stories, your stories transverse nicely into like a business analogy because you have to have that survivalist instinct, I guess, but it's almost like a dance, you know, it's almost like a dance between grit and having enough savvy and knowledge and experience to know when to change course and pivot. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting when you think of grit, I mean, there's this in, in the latest in survival psychology, which I've highly correlated with our own research that led to brand versus wild. Um, what we've discovered is that there's this sort of mysterious phenomenon known as the will to live. And researchers know it exists. There's enough evidence for it, but nobody knows how it works or why it works. But it basically comes down to this, that in any survival scenario, you can have two human beings who have you know, enough food and water have enough, aren't too harmed, you know, their, their physical state is in a stable condition. Yet because of the extreme nature of the scenario, one lives and one dies. There's no external difference. It's simply an 
attitudinal difference. And Jim Collins ta- talks about this in, in his book, Good to Great, where prisoners of war at some point, even though they were physically stable, would just will themselves to die. They would just give up. And it's this amazing uh, trait. So it's, it's the will to live. And, and in every circumstance where somebody survived, they found something deep inside. They were on the brink. And many of them even gave up. They lost hope and they were literally laying under a tree or in a boat just waiting to die. Then something out of nowhere hit and it, and it was they got angry or they got hope and they, their will to live kicked in and they were able to mentally find that grit to push through circumstances that on the outside we would look at and say, that's impossible. Nobody could do that. They were able to find a way to push through because they they awoke something deep inside that in survival psychology we call the will to live. That's really interesting. I I love in your book how you used all of these um, survival stories to illustrate your points. It works really well. It's it's brilliant, and I love all your one word named chapters. Um, that that was nice too. But um, I want to ask you. So at the very beginning of the book. There's this scene where you're standing on stage, you're getting a big award, and you're suddenly like, "What is going on here?" Can you can you talk <laughs> us through that? What was what was happening there? Oh my goodness! Yeah, I talk about cognitive dissonance. Um, uh, uh, a year or two ago, we as a company, my company, McKee Wall Working Company, we um, accepted this uh, this award that really marked us as one of the top five small agencies in the entire country. It was given by AdAge. And, and so I'm at the award ceremony in New York and they're going, you know, they're announcing winners and we end up winning one of our two awards that night. And, you know, we're celebrating, everyone's excited. I go on stage and, and accept this award. Then a few minutes later, I end up accepting the second award, which really set us apart from everybody else. I mean, nobody, very few of us that night won two of these national awards and, and really was the culmination of over a decade of, of work that we had all been putting into this place. And I'm standing there on stage and, and, you know, everyone's applauding. I'm with among the best marketers in the world and, you know, the hot lights are on me. And, and, and there, I had this moment of accepting this award and being really proud. And then on the other hand, I'm sitting here thinking, I hope nobody knows that none of us know what's going on. And, <laughs> you know, like things are changing so fast and there's so much disruption and, and, you know, technology is, is swiftly changing how we market and how people consume. And it just, I, you know, I didn't have those explicit thoughts, but the emotion sort of overtook me on stage. And I was thinking, what in the world is going on? So it was really cognitive dissonance between while being, being recognized as the best in the world at the same time having this humbling moment of, I don't know what the heck's going on. And that was really the catalyst for, we have to get a handle on things. And that's when we went back to our research. And really over the last decade, we've conducted these two national studies that identified seven factors that affect growth in businesses. And probably the coolest thing that we've discovered that really led to the insight into the book is that Three of those seven factors that affect growth are external. They're things like disruption, you know, aggressive competition or, or the economy. Those are things that in many ways usually disorient companies. And when, when a new regulation passes or the economy goes into the tank or, or Uber comes along, that pushes companies into the wilderness. But we discovered that 
four of the seven statistically significant factors that affect growth are internal. They're inside of us. They're inside of our organizations. They're things like fear, lack, lack of focus, inconsistency, and then ultimately the biggest one, a lack of alignment, what we call savagery. What we discovered is those four internal dynamics are highly correlated with the latest in survival psychology to the point where there's very little difference psychologically between a group of people that crash land on a mountain or, or Roosevelt and his expedition down the river of doubt and you and I sitting in a boardroom dealing with a business challenge. Psychologically, we go through the same processes. We have a very predictable response. So this moment on stage was, was really the catalyst for, okay, we got to figure out what is going on in our economy? What is going on in the modern world? And how can we continue to help our clients and help ourselves navigate this quickly changing environment? I love that you went, you know, your answer to that was research and, and actually finding the answers. Because I, um, I don't know if you know this, but I work, I, I work, I, I own a video production company and I work a lot in advertising and marketing too. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I've come across another firm that has done what you did. So I think it's very unusual um, that you took that tact and it makes a lot of sense. And obviously you gained a lot for yourselves and your clients by doing that. Yeah, well, thank, thanks so much for saying that. And, and I would say pr probably the, one of the key things that I wanted to communicate through this book, and I mentioned it in the introduction, is we – all of us are dealing with what we call the wild. There's this overwhelming feeling of the world. You know, check, check the headlines in your phone. They're insane. You know, whether it's politics or business or artificial intelligence or whatever it is, it's just overwhelming and it's isolating. And we all, we all feel like, no, you know, we don't know what's going on, but somebody else secretly does. Elon Musk knows what's going on or Bezos knows what's going on. Somebody has to know, Right. When the reality is that nobody really knows what's going on. Just some people understand these new principles for success in the modern world. And grit is certainly a big part of it. I think that's why it's so relevant today. While many of us uh, still sort of assume that the old principles for success, like size, scale, intellectual property, longevity, you know, staying in your career for 50 years and, and getting that watch – those old principles for success just don't work anymore, and we're trying to still use them to succeed. And that's why we're finding ourselves in this difficult moment of what do we do? There's just new principles. There's no magic. There's no – it doesn't require you to be a genius. You just need to kind of shift your thinking a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I hope that people will find that comforting and not scary and overwhelming. They have to read the book, of course. But um, in there, you've got some great tips for dealing with fear, and I want to share a couple of them and then I thought maybe you could elaborate on them. So there's three tips um, that I wrote down for this interview. The first one is you shouldn't bother wasting time and energy on trying never to be lost in the wilderness. You're going to get lost, so just you know, stop trying to avoid it. The mm -hmm. second tip is um, talking about letting go of the illusion of control. And finally, um, focusing on navigating risk instead of, again, trying to avoid it. So... I was hoping you could elaborate on that, specifically maybe the illusion of control. Do a lot of people struggle with that? You know, I struggle with it, and I feel like it's part of, not only part of our human nature to sort of want to lie to ourselves and say that we control things that we really, at the end of the day, don't. And that's 
through our budgets every month or through planning out our year or, you know, having insurance. And we, we sort of have this perceived control, which at the end of the day, especially when a black swan happens, when something completely unexpected occurs in your life, uh, you know, then we question everything because we thought we had control and it, it just was an illusion. It never was there. And what I find in my own job and in all the clients I work with and everything, all the research I've done, really many marketers, we spend our entire career, our every day trying to create some sort of illusion of control. So that can be through, you know, endlessly conducting research and never getting to work. <laughs> That's one mm-hmm. way of pretending like we have control or, you know, trying to reduce risk in every decision to as small as possible. And and that's one of the key things is we used to treat our jobs like we sat in a boat on the ocean and simply just bailed out risk. So water would come over the side. And so our job was to bail out the risk. Let's conduct this focus group. Let's do this creative testing. Let's do whatever it takes. When really today, the the economy, our industries, there's just a giant storm and our boats are being swamped by water. And w- our job isn't to sit there and try to bail out all this water because it's, it, you know, the risk is too high. There's too much risk in every decision. Our job is to learn how to swim. Our job is to get out of the boat and, and get comfortable with a certain level of risk in every decision. And that's why it's not enough just to be a marketing manager anymore where we manage things or, or even a creator we have to really be marketing entrepreneurs today, and entrepreneurs naturally understand risk-taking. It doesn't mean you don't calculate the risk, but you don't stop there. You don't endlessly obsess about that. You, you move on. You move beyond that, and you're willing to take on a level of risk that historically we just never were. It just, it's almost against us, and part of the issue, one of the challenges for marketers, we may be okay with that, but our leadership isn't. And, you know, they're trying to control everything. So it's really a cultural issue, an alignment issue. And that's one of the fourth factor that we discovered internally. If, if our teams aren't on the same page in terms of what risk we're taking on, where we're trying to go, who we're targeting, where our focus is, if our teams aren't fully aligned, and it's the same we see in the wilderness, then, then it doesn't matter how much resources we have. It doesn't matter how, gr- how, much, how great our ideas are. If our team's not aligned around it, and willing to take on a certain level of risk, we'll never get there. We'll never achieve whatever we're trying to achieve. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. We have to take it on. And I want to read you, this morning, Seth Godin um, put out a blog post, as he does every morning. And it's really short. I just, I'll just read it to you. It says, your instincts are better than you think you are. That, sorry, than you think they are. That's the headline. And he writes... Data is essential. Data lets us incrementally improve just about anything. The keyboard in front of you, the sink in the bathroom down the hall, the supply chain for the food you eat, they were all improved 100,000 times over the years. Data-driven evolution towards efficiency. It's not enough. We need you to leap, to leap without sufficient data, to go with your humanity and your instincts and your hunches. Go first without being sure. I think you'll find something special. And I just loved this blog post, which I think goes, it dovetails nicely, nicely with what you're saying. Yeah, I love, I, I agree. Um, and I love what he said about humanity. Yeah. Because this, this really touches on a lot of relevant uh, dangers that we're all facing today. So when you think about our jobs as marketers, and that can be, you know, leading a brand, leading a company. That can be a creator, 
um, that could be on the agency side of consulting or, or it could be even on the media side. You know, you know who should be freaking out right now is a salesperson in any media company around the world. You know, when you think about what's the, what, what is going to happen over the next five, 10 years, many of our jobs are already or going to be automated. Many of our jobs today, even things that we assume can't be automated, are going to be um, put in a, in a dashboard. And, and if you don't believe me, look around you. Think how many, look at how many other industries are just gutted by automation, robotics, uh, and then artificial intelligence in many ways is our danger. The key, the real key here isn't, and I think this is a lie that many of us fall into, the key isn't to try to win the race with the machines. So if you listen to a lot of you know, gurus or savants coming out of Silicon Valley, they're all telling us to work harder, work longer hours, work faster. And it's created even these pretty crazy sort of subcultures that are into microdosing, which means they lace these tiny amounts of LSD in water bottles and drink it and, and all of these enhancements. I mean, it gets pretty crazy because people believe the lie that they have to win the fight, win the race with the machines, when really our value comes from our humanity. So as mm-hmm. opposed to trying to be more efficient, trying to be more robotic, we need to lean in to the part that makes us human, which is our ability to navigate uncertainty, our ability to deal with ambiguous concepts, our ability to take risks. And uh, you know, robots aren't built that way. They're ones and zeros. They're really good at, at automating things that are automatable, where humans are good at creativity. So as a marketer, if you want to know what's going to be valuable for your future, and that future isn't far away, I'm, I'm talking the next five years, you have to lean into your humanity. So that means lean into whatever is ambiguous today. Lean into the creativity. It's hard for artificial intelligence to be creative in the way we understand it. Lean into relationships. Relationships are so human. You know, a robot can't do that. It's going to take some time before a robot can do that. And what we've understood from the research that led to the book, the key difference isn't how much supplies you took on your expedition or what the weather is like on, on your expedition. The difference were, were the relationships within the team. How healthy were your relationships? Were you able to have healthy conflict? Did you have the grit required to push on even when things were intense? So lean into your humanity. Lean into those risks. The, the accepting a certain level of risk that you'll never be able to get rid of in today's modern economy. Yeah, that's I I love everything you just said there. That was really great, and and I think the listeners will find a lot of value in that as well. So, what about your clients? How how do you get your clients on board with making decisions not based on fear, not based on um, all the stuff we just talked about, and uh, taking that courageous leap forward? I think one of the first and simplest things you can do is give yourself permission to fail. And there's a very structured way to do this. We recommend that our clients take about 10% of their budget, five to 10, depending on the size of your budget and make it your fail budget, make it your, um, you know, experimental budget. And the idea is you're getting permission from whoever your superior is at your company to fail every year with this much of your money. And then for, with that 10%, go up there and try things. Do, use it to do something that you would never normally do with your budget. And that, so you're, you're building in risk-taking. 
formally, institutionally into your your entire process. And this is sort of the idea of Google, you know, using 20% of their time to come up with new ideas. Well, as a marketer, give yourself permission to, to screw up because our biggest fail or our biggest fear, sorry, is to be a failure, especially in, in, in front or in the eyes of our superiors often. So that's kind of the first and easiest thing you can do today. Build yourself in permission to fail. The other thing though is, is part of what makes what we do so powerful in terms of, you know, our core niche as a company is turning around stalled, stuck and stale companies, companies who are finding difficulty with growth is there's all, you know, it's one thing to come up with a great marketing solution. And, and most of us who are smart can do that. The, the hard part is getting the relationships to a point where as a group, you agree on where you're going and agree to a certain level of risk taking. And that's where, it's all about the relationship. Again, you can hire, you know, in-house, you can hire the best people or you can go to the best agency in the world and come up with the best ideas. If your team doesn't believe in marketing, is afraid to spend money, uh, doesn't, doesn't like the person across the hall because they roll their eyes every time they come up with a new idea, you know, if your team's unhealthy, it doesn't matter what you have in front of you, you'll never do it. So we really have a practice that's focused on getting teams together that, that really aligns them around not only ultimately what we're going to do, but why we're doing it, who we're building the confidence around our target and our identity as a brand. And all of those things, while they seem soft, they seem like the stuff that doesn't matter, you know, get to the point, let's fail fast. Those are the things that ultimately matter when you're in, in, the, in the heat of, of the battle or in the, that survival situation. The heat's on, things are uncertain. Well, if you have a teammate, if you have a team around you who you have that healthy relationship with, you can get through most adversity. It's those that have unhealthy relationships that undercut each other and, and ultimately become irrelevant or fail. So do you ever have to step into the role of coach or therapist for your clients? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I'll, we joke about that. I mean, I think in many ways that that is our job. Uh, when, when it all comes down to uh, relationships, that means that fear often you have to talk things out or focus often if, when you're in the middle of it as a marketer, when you're in your industry, you've been doing this for years. It's so hard to step out of, of your bubble and see what's really going on. And, and that, that requires that relationship with someone like us as a partner or somebody internally. So yeah, we, we in many ways are um, helping people think right so they can do right. And if that's what a psychologist does, then that's what we are. Mm, awesome. Awesome. Well, we talked a lot about the wild part of your book title and the wilderness and the fear and the, the big stuff. What about the brand part? Um, how do you define brand? You know, I think a brand is, is kind of fundamentally our, our collective reputation as a company. And so that means everything you are, everything you've done, everything you're doing is your brand. Um, and so collectively, whatever that adds up to in, in your customer's mind, you know, that can be a feeling, that can be a thought, um, that is your brand. And, and so today it might be, oh, they're easy to work with, or they're expensive, or, you know, wh whatever it kind of boils down to in that moment, that's your brand. And what, what we all have to understand is um, the way we do things is changing fundamentally. Advertising is changing fundamentally. How people consume is changing fundamentally. 
what we are and the, the, the need to communicate our reputation and build it up over time is not changing. I mean, that is, that is always going to be important. As long as we have human relationships, our reputation is going to matter. So, so the, the practice of making, molding, building, understanding brands is as vital as ever. The, the doing part of it is what's changing. And this is where we have to really expand our definition of what, what doing advertising or doing branding is. It's so much more than putting out an ad now. It has to do with the full experience from the bill you get in the mail to when you're stepping inside of a store to you know, every little thing. It's, it's, that's why systems design is really overtaking a lot of our marketing today because it's not it's no longer just kind of do a couple pieces of messaging it's how do we fundamentally infuse our brand or reveal our brand through every step of our experience mm. so then what is a lost brand so a lost brand um, is, is most companies today who don't really understand what they're doing who they're doing that for and who they are and if you can't answer those things and your team can't answer them in similar ways, very specifically, then you're probably lost. And from a maybe more technical standpoint, a lost brand is usually a brand struggling with growth. You know, they're not meeting their growth numbers, uh, revenue, profit, and that usually is what is the catalyst for companies feeling lost. And, um, you know, that kind of kicks off all of those other internal dynamics. Fear arises, fears for your job, your focus starts to drift, you start looking for easy answers and get very inconsistent. And then ultimately, in the most unhealthy of companies, you get savage and your best people leave, there's gossip, there's turf wars. Um, so no, understanding that very predictable response to when you become lost, because if you're in a brand today, if you're a part of a company today, you will be lost. Understanding how you naturally react and then understanding how to overcome that is vital because it's happening more often and faster than ever before. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. And you had another thing you said in the book that I thought was interesting. You um, stated that business is as deadly as the wilderness, which I think I've never heard you know anybody say that before. It makes sense in context of your book. Uh, but what exactly did you mean by that? Business is as deadly as the wilderness. So, I, you know, I, certainly I have stats for this, but just on a on a basic level. I mean, if we step back and think about the impact our careers, our jobs, our, our, uh, our brands have on us, wherever we work, it's pretty staggering. When you have a bad day at work, you bring that home with you. That affects the relationships around you. If you are in a unhealthy, maybe abusive environment, um, and you haven't seen your family for three weeks, um, that has an impact on the people around you, on your friendships. Um, you know, when you look at the actual statistics, jobs, job related stress is has been um, thought of as the underlying cause of something like 70 percent of uh, the visits to the family doctor. Seventy percent. Wow. So when you think about blood pressure, you know, and bad eating habits and, and all of the things that are related that, that affect your health, it, it all come. You know, we're spending so much time at our jobs. So. When you, when you think about the relationships you have at work and how healthy they are and how aligned you are, and do you look forward to going to work? Do you have, is there something that you're trying to achieve together or is it just 
the worst thing in the world or, you know, all of those things dramatically affect your health, dramatically affect your relationships. So, you know, it's easy for us to say, oh, it's, you know, it's dangerous to do X, Y, or Z. Well, it's dangerous to go to work if you're in an unhealthy place. <laughs> and right? the stats the stats prove it. Yeah, interesting. Well, it, it's been awesome talking to you, and I wish we could continue for much longer, but I have to wrap this up. And uh, maybe you can leave us with some final words of wisdom for um, for anyone, really, who's feeling a little stuck or scared or lost in the wilderness. What, what do you have to say to those people? Well, I would just say this. You are not alone. Everybody is feeling that today. Everybody feels that way. And so it's okay to feel that way. Yes, there are methods to get out of that position. Yes, there are new ways of, of thinking about success in the modern economy. Of course, you can read about those in my book. But first and foremost, it's okay because we're all feeling that way. There's no, there's no one out there who's waving a magic wand, who innately knows things nobody else does. So just accept that that's where you are and then make the decision to overcome that situation. And if you do that, there are, there are methods to do that. You know, there are, there are keys to understand how to get out of this situation. First and foremost, you're not alone and there is hope. You can get to a better place, a place where you're looking forward to tackling the uncertainty in front of you. When you're looking forward to innovating and coming up with new ideas, it's not, it's not the enemy necessarily. You know, it can be your friend. Yeah. You can learn to welcome fear and change and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. I really uh, loved talking with you today and thank you all for listening. My guest was Jonathan David Lewis. You can find this complete interview links to Jonathan's book, his website and social media pages on our website, readysetgrit.com. Thanks again for joining us and check in again next Friday when we release another episode with tips on how to turn your daydream into a phenomenal success. Thanks for tuning in to Ready, Set, Grit, your life on purpose with Ellen Barton. Look us up online at readysetgrit.com where you'll find daily inspiration, links to our social media, and where you can access our eBooks and online classes. Ready, Set, Grit, inspired actions, real results.